The Guru. Find out more at bafta.org forward slash guru. Hi, I'm Gemma Desai, and in this special trilogy of podcasts, we'll be looking at the world of short film distribution. How do you get them seen at festivals, cinemas, and online? Recorded live at Short Sighted in London, a weekend of discussions arranged by BAFTA and the British Council, you'll hear from filmmakers, online and theatre distributors, plus festival programmers about the best ways to get yourself on their radar. Today on the show, online exhibition. What's the best strategy for getting your short film seen? Are there dangers to releasing it for free? And is there an optimum time to create the biggest buzz? Later on, I'll be speaking to the people behind online curators, Colony, and also Nowness. But first, let's hear from Jordan McGarry, former director of curation at Vimeo, and now at Film London. To kick things off, I asked Jordan, how did she get where she is today? I started in this kind of world, uh, working for a magazine called Shots, which is still going. It's very sort of very much part of the advertising industry, and I was their sort of music video editor. Um, looking at short films and music videos and, you know, really looking at that as the sort of place where the feature film directors of the future were sort of cutting their teeth and and doing the really interesting progressive work. From there, I went to Partizan. So I worked at the um, production company Partizan for five years as an exec producer, working in a department called The Darkroom, which I set up to be, you know, Partizan made ads and music videos and the odd feature film. And then I was very interested back in, this is 2000. I think, in the sort of new space that was happening with like the internet and um, you know branded content and interactivity and all this kind of stuff and lots of short films. So I worked with Partisans directors there for five years, and from there I went to Vimeo, um, starting work on the Vimeo Festival and Awards, and then running the curation team up until this August. So obviously Vimeo, we curated the Staff Picks channel. Um, very involved in the Vimeo Originals um, that they've started making recently and also in the Vimeo On Demand direct distribution platform. So that was a very, very informative five years and very fun. And now I'm at Film London. So getting sort of coming back to my hometown roots um, to try to really actively support the directors and filmmakers here um, as they come onto the scene. And um, we have London Calling, the short film scheme, funding and training, and also microwave um, funding and training, feature film, low-budget feature film scheme, and tons of other stuff too. What's really interesting is that you um, have got kind of a very uh, independent background in a way. So you're working with, you know, Partizan, you've worked with Vimeo, you're kind of, you know, you've, you've had your background in kind of the cutting edge of what maybe institutions like Film London are trying to now engage with, mm-hmm. like after the fact, almost. So how is that kind of background of really nurturing and supporting independent artists feeding into your work that you're doing with Film London? You know, the obvious thing is, and I think the thing that they've talked about with me when they were hiring me was Film London has been seen as quite traditional in that, you know, you make a feature, you make a short film, it goes to festivals, and you make a feature (coughs) film that goes to theatrical. And obviously that's great, and I'm not like tearing that up because I think that's what most directors would like to make a film that goes up to theatrical and you know, a short film that does well, well at festivals, that's well and good. Um, the thing that I've had really up-close experience of that I find very inspiring is the more do-it-yourself side of things, which isn't an instead of, it's kind of an as well as, um, the idea that you can launch a film online, you know, once you've done your festival run, if you want to do festivals, and you know, if you, how to do that really well 
and how to benefit from it the most and how to sort of um, harness the attention you get from the internet and push that into driving your career forward in other ways. And also just the, you know, the really incredibly broad breadth or the variety of, kind of the kinds of films that people are making and the opportunities out there that I think if you want to do something now, you can really just do it, like whatever it is. Um, I'm very interested in niche audiences. And again, I think this is the, the kind of freedom or um, exciting thing about the internet. Whereas before, you know, if you wanted to make a film or a TV series or whatever it might be, you were sort of limited to the kind of mainstream. You know, TV channels were programming for a, for a mass audience and, you know, a lot of the time feature films, if you were trying to get to a very serious level, they were also intended for a mass audience. Whereas now, you know, when we were at Vimeo, some of the major hits that we saw coming through on Vimeo On Demand were not necessarily aimed at, but for a, a quite a niche audience, whether it was someone who's interested in a particular type of sport or a particular sort of scene, or if it's a niche audience maybe, or con what would have been considered a niche audience, you can still do incredibly well doing that kind of work because a niche on the internet can be a huge amount of people. So whatever you're interested in now, you can do it yourself and get it out there and, and find that audience for your work, which I think is really, really inspiring. Um, a lot of your work is about curating, about picking out like, you know, what makes a good short film, but in those different contexts, those measures are, are quite different, right? Yeah. At this stage that you're at at Film London and thinking about your, your own past in, in, on, when you've talked about online, do you have a sense of what makes a short film great for those different platforms, or is it still something quite personal? It's funny, I get asked to talk about what makes a great short film all the time, and I never really feel like I've nailed the answer, but I think um, as a viewer, obviously you want to come away from something feeling something. That's the main thing. Obviously it's great if it looks beautiful and if it's, you know, I don't know, got some incredible production values, whatever, that's nice. But I think before that, you've got to think about what do you feel when you watch it. And hopefully it's something that, you know, you feel some emotions or it makes you laugh or whatever. But also... As a filmmaker, ideally, you know, your short film is something that tells people who you are. So you need to make something that communicates that, whether it's, you know, obviously a great film is a great film and people are probably going to be interested in your work anyway, but it's nice to have a, you know, we always say at Film London we're looking for fresh voices. Someone who's got something to say and who says it, you know, that's the, the basic thing because you want people to watch your short film and then want to work with you to make your next film or you know, to watch your next film or to sign up to your crowdfunding page to fund your feature film or whatever. So to, you know, a great short film depends massively on who it's for and what it is and what it's trying to do. But I think the thing that they all have in common is, is that you have to make people feel something and you have to hopefully make people who watch it in the industry inspired to want to work with you. <laughs> do you think there's a, a difference between... So you've talked about a little bit about industry there. Um, and later on, we'll see like five short films that have done the kind of international film circuit, which is kind of like an, a nice industry measure because they'll be the festival, uh, the, the films that people will see and pay attention to, I guess. Yeah. But is there some, something slightly different about um, reaching an audience and kind of being freed of that when you're launching a film online rather than through the traditional festival circuit? Do you think that it's a more liberating space for a filmmaker? Um, yes, I think the thing about festivals that's so brilliant is you've got a bunch of people, industry and film fans, who come to a festival to watch good films, and they flood, they, you know, they fill in to the audience, and they will sit there and watch whatever the programmers throw at them. So finding your audience at a festival is quite easy once you can get into the festival. 
But assuming you don't get into festivals or you don't want to get into festivals or you want to launch online at the same time or, you know, whatever, the internet, it can be an amazing space that can be so supportive and so helpful for people launching their careers. Or it can be really, you know, <laughs> it's hard. You can't just put a film up on Vimeo or YouTube and cross your fingers and hope that it goes viral because that just doesn't, you know, it doesn't very often work unless you've got someone hugely famous in it or some huge controversy or story around you. But, um, you know, whatever your film is, as I said before, there is... I think it helps when you're making a film, whether it's a short or a feature, you've got to be thinking about who it's for and who your audience is. Not in a kind of commercial, how am I going to make money way, but, you know, who are the people that are likely to be interested in this film and where do they hang out online? And whether it's, you know, it's, a, it's an animation and there's, you know, um, all these amazing, amazing animated uh, animation uh, communities and blogs and channels online, or, you know, it's a really artful short film or, you know, something that might make sense on Nowness or it's something, you know, it's a straight, you know, obviously there's places like Short of the Week and Vimeo Staff Picks. And then there's, you know, if it's a sports-based thing, people who are into ultra running, there's communities for that online. Maybe it's an LGBT thing. And maybe, you know, find those communities online, reach out to them, plan the launch of your film well, make sure that you've got people who are likely to be interested in it, supporting you when your film launches and you know use that to sort of grow your audience and because people don't really pay attention to short films online unless they're building buzz and momentum of their own you know you got to get featured somewhere interesting it's not the easiest thing in the world to do but it's not impossible to do either it just needs a bit of thought and consideration um but ideally before you launch it because once it's out then people are a bit like oh it's already been online for two weeks that's not so interesting but um you know doing that planning and that homework before you launch the film is really really helpful i think mm. So like that, that kind of understanding of your audience from an early stage is um, so key in sort of interrogating why someone might not watch it as yeah. well. Um, but when do you think, like, if, if you are thinking about the international film circuit, if you are looking at a more traditional route for your film, um, as well as getting that broader audience, when would you kind of advise people to set it free onto the world of online? Or are those kind of linear things not really of, of any issue anymore? I think it really depends on the film and what you want to do with it. I mean, if you, you know, if you if you're making a film and you're hoping that it's going to go around all the festivals and you know maybe even take you to the Oscars or whatever, you've got to be thinking about that on while you're making it because if you've got your heart really set on Sundance, for example, then it makes sense to finish your film, you know, in good time for the Sundance deadline. You don't want to have to sit on the film for a year before you can enter it, or whatever that might be. So. You know, you can't start thinking about these things too early. And I definitely think that if you want to launch online, you know, when I was at Vimeo, I was on so many panels talking about, you know, oh, the internet versus festivals. And it's really not like that, I think. Apart from the fact that lots of festivals now accept work that has been online, um, you know, launching a film on the internet, like I said, there's so much, so much content going up every day that it's very easy to get lost. And having a nice festival laurel on the thumbnail of your video is really helpful. So, you know, if you went to Sundance or if you went to South By or, you know, the London Film Festival or whatever it might be, you can put that laurel. I would say don't put too many laurels. Like, make sure the laurels you have on your thumbnail are meaningful rather than covering the whole thing in, like, minuscule thumbnails that nobody can read. But, you know, pick the important ones and put them online and, and then that helps you when you're reaching out to the, the sort of online influencers and say, my film was at Festival X, Y and Z. Um, I'm bringing it to the internet next week. Would you like to see a preview in advance? And I think that really helps perk their interest as well, make sure that they watch it for you. So One of the other great things about kind of other 
platforms for shorts is that other filmmakers can watch each other's work. Mm. That often, I guess, that doesn't happen so, as often as perhaps it could after you, you, you know, after a student, you don't watch each other's work so much yeah. unless you go to festivals. Um, if the the group here wanted to watch some really great short films, what kind of platforms would you recommend they they kind of have a look through? Well, I mean, my first port of call, just because I spent five years there, would be Vimeo Staff Picks, and they they feature five videos a day, so it's quite a lot. Um, but they also do the best of the month, which is a quite a nice place to go every month and just check in on sort of what's going on generally, the very best work. Um, they also divide things by categories, so if you're particularly interested in, you know, short films or in animation or whatever it might be, you can, you can, you can you know, divide that way. But again, there's, you know, I think the, the main ones for me are staff picks. Um, short of the Week is very good. Nowness has a lot of short films. I know that Katie Metcalf's down here at the front. <laughs> so if you're interested in Nowness, go and uh, talk to her. Beyond that, there's tons, of, tons and tons of niches out there. And if you're making films in that space, you probably already know who they are. So um, I think it's really important. And people, again, another question that I always get asked all the time is, how do I get more followers on Vimeo? How do I get more viewers on Vimeo? And it's really, you know, it's, it's like any... Vimeo is a viewing platform, but it's also a social network. And it's like you don't, you don't join Twitter and just start tweeting and expect millions of people to sort of reply to you and start following you. You've got to engage with people as well. So it's part of being part of the community. And if you want to watch great work and, you, you know, if you see someone's video and you like it, you know, log in and like it and maybe give them a comment. And maybe they'll, you know, that will make them more likely to come and look at your work. And we always used to talk about how the comments on Vimeo, you know, famously they're a lot more civilised than the comments on some other platforms. And the idea was that it's meant to be like when you go to a, a festival screening and then you sort of go to the bar afterwards and everyone's talking about what they liked about the film or what they didn't. And the, the comments section in Vimeo is sort of intended to be this similar sort of thing. So, you know, join in. And people, again, they say, you know, I was talking to a filmmaker the other day, like, oh, I need to find some DPs to work with. How do you, you know, how do I find a DP? And it's like, well go and watch some films that you really like and see who the DP was and send them a message because you can that's you know the great thing about the internet you can reach out to whoever whoever you want to and I think that's you know people don't talk about that very often with the sort of online filmmaking space especially Vimeo but it's so important so valuable to have mm -hmm. that network at your disposal you just have to jump in and get involved. Before I open it out I really want to get some sense of you know, what you're really excited about at the moment, because um, as well as like lots of information gathering about, you know, all the opportunities, we really want to get a sense from everyone about where they think we're at with short films and where, you know, the future is. Yeah, I mean, huge, huge <laughs> question. <laughs> I think um, I've sort of touched on a lot of it already, but I'm really excited about, and this isn't necessarily new, but it's definitely new in the last five years or so, the ability for people to sort of take control of their careers a little bit more and, and do things themselves and get stuff off the ground. At Vimeo, we, we kept staff picking this little web series uh, for their, fir their first series. They'd made it themselves. It was a husband and wife duo. They were sort of calling in favours, shooting in friends' apartments. It was called High Maintenance, and it was brilliant. And we, you know, we supported them through their first series that was organic to Vimeo, native to Vimeo. And then we loved it so much and they built up such a great reputation because they were smart about how they reached their audience and you know very good at making the show and it got picked up as the first Vimeo original which was very nice and then the third series is now on HBO and I just think that's like how can that not be the most inspiring story in the universe and that could be anyone you know but I think so long as you're being 
you know, making work that you really believe in, that's really authentic to you. And I know everyone always says like, oh, authentic and da 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 da, but it's so true. Like that, it's got to come from a place that means something to you because apart from the fact that you're going to have to work on it and work really hard for a long time, so you've got to be into it, it's got to be sort of fresh and different because there's so much stuff out there that's kind of all sort of the same and all quite good. But if you can come out and, and challenge the audience with something that speaks to people in a way that other stuff doesn't and makes them laugh or makes them feel something and, you know, you can do so well now. And, um, you know, you can, the, the gatekeeper, there are still gatekeepers, of course there are, and there are still hoops to jump through and things that are challenging, but you've got all this new opportunity now and new tools to play with to help do stuff. I think it's the most exciting time to be a, sort of a filmmaker or an emerging filmmaker that we've seen. I could talk about that for hours, but... Well, it's exciting <laughs> for Film London that they have someone like you leading up, you know, which yeah. is also um, uh, lots of uh, schemes which potentially, you know, that's a gatekeeping sort of scenario, but um, it's really heartening to know that, you know, they've got someone like you leading it up to, to, to be thinking about really having that freedom. It's funny, yeah, we are, you know, we, we are funding short films and we're funding feature films. And we are gatekeepers in the fact that you, you know, we pick, we get lots of applicants and we go through them all and we pick ones that we think, it's not just, oh, I like this one or, oh, I know this one, I'm going to like them. It's like, who can we make the biggest difference to? We're going to give you the money to make this film. Is this film going to help you progress in your career or help you, you know, tell a new story that, you know, is going to influence the, the industry in some way? And I'm not, you know, that sounds huge, but you know, it's in your power to do that. If you've got a story to tell that, um, or an idea to, you know, to work with, that you really could sort of have a big impact on the scene by, by creating an amazing short film. So how do we help people do that? And um, that's what we sort of use to, to decide which films to get behind. Yeah, and we're hoping that people are going to make short films that set the world on fire. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Is there anything coming up that you wanted to tell people about in terms of Film London that people well, should know Well, I would love to, but unfortunately our short film deadline just closed okay. not long ago. So that's, that's, that's gone for a while. But, you know, you can start work on your applications for next year because that's going to be coming again uh, sooner than we think. Um, but, yeah, watch this space. You can follow Film London on uh, Twitter and all the usual channels and we keep people informed on our deadlines on our newsletter. Um, I'm on Twitter, I bang on about deadlines and stuff all the time, so yeah, we, we, we do make noise whenever there's something coming up. Great. I want to open it out to you guys, so just raise your hands and there's a roving mic. Hiya. Um, how much does the length of a film affect its online success? Um, I feel like maybe a 20-minute film might be more difficult, but I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because... First of all, I'm not one of those people who... I think if you come from YouTube, you probably say, oh, it's got to be like three minutes or under, and I'm not quite on that school. But um, I did just cut the, the maximum length for Film London's short films from 15 minutes to 10, just because I think that, obviously, the shorter your film, the easier it is for it to do well. Not just online. Obviously, I think that people see... A, most people find links to short films on social media or on a blog, and if you look at the timeline and it says 17 minutes... You know, you're probably sitting at work or somewhere and you think, I haven't really got time to watch that now and maybe you don't get around to it. Whereas if it says six or seven minutes, maybe you're like, oh, you know, I could get away with that. But um, also if you're a festival programmer, you know, you have a short film programs are generally an hour or so long. And if you've got a 20 minute, half an hour short film, that's like the programmers could put that one in or they could put three 10 minute short films in and they're probably going to go for including more work for more filmmakers. So I think it's in your interest to 
make sure it's as tight as it can be. I don't think, you, you know, if the story needs to be 20 minutes long, then go for it. But um, you really have to interrogate that and make sure that you're not... It's hard with shorts because if you make it yourself, it's your own work, particularly if you wrote it, you directed it, and you're involved in the edit, it can be hard to sort of be tight with your baby, you know. But I think... Um, always try and give it a bit of a haircut if you can, because most short films that you watch, I think you know, there aren't many that you think couldn't be a, few, a little bit shorter. So try and be really brutal with yourself in the edit and make sure that you're not, you know, oh, but I just love how this one look, this shot looks. It's like, try and make sure it's as tight as you can, because being shorter doesn't, doesn't hurt, certainly. Um, you talked about Vimeo short picks. Um, sorry, sorry. Staff picks. Staff picks. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, you know, within the sort of massive sea of Vimeo, how, how do those films get found? So the curation team at Vimeo, um, who are very friendly and approachable, but they are sort of under siege with people sending them links all the time. You can message them, find out who they are and message them. It might take them a while to get back to you just because they get so much volume of email and, and messages. But they also have um, various <laughs> systems in... Most of them are actually available to anyone. You can set up a channel and you can use the same thing. Like they have a trending um, feed on Vimeo that just tells you what's sort of blowing up, doing well. And they also have a thing which the public can't see, which is how many vid videos that are getting a huge number of likes at any, you know, at any point in the day. Um, so really it's on you to do the work. If you're launching a short film, I think you only have to get 30 likes in 24 hours and you will pop up on their radar and their sort of trending feed which everybody can see so all the other short film or you know all the other channel curators can see it but also the curation team will see it so it's not hard it's not as hard as you might think it is to get that many likes and get the ball rolling just make sure that when you launch your film you know be like I say you've got to be around the day it launches launch early in the day send it to all of your friends cast crew you know send it to your mum get everybody to put it on their social networks get people who watch it to log in and like it or comment on it, and that will start your ball You know, if you can get 30 people to do that, then you should pop up on everyone's radar. So, um, and particularly if your film is on the longer side, that kind of work is more important. Make sure that your thumbnail is really strong so that when people are scrolling through the thing, it looks interesting. Um, make sure that your description is kind of on point. If anybody's, in, you know, your DP or editor, whoever is on Vimeo, make sure you credit them in the credit system on Vimeo because if, you're, if I'm your DP and people are following me and you credit me, then all my followers will see it in their feed as well. So just use all the tools that Vimeo gives you and um, good luck. But they, they are good at finding things, like they're on it every day, so you don't have to email them. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to butcher the wording because uh, it's from memory, so please excuse me, but I remember there being something mentioned in this year's uh, shorts for Film London about... Shorts that could possibly work in other mediums was it in a, like 360 or as an app? I yeah. wonder if you could talk about that a little bit more and maybe give some examples if you have any of work that exists in that sort of space. Yeah, that was um, this has been a sort of a new thing that was the temptation was I think they were quite interested because I just joined when all this happened and they were quite interested like oh we know we've got you and you come from the internet let's do all this. And, you know, obviously all this VR and all this stuff is happening and um, we should be open to that. And I, and I agree, yeah, yeah, absolutely, Film London needs to be working towards all of that and I think it's very interesting and important, etc. Um, especially because I think Film London, the optics from the outside is very much that you go there and you make your 15-minute festival short and it goes to festivals and then it goes to, you know, maybe you get a distribution deal and then you make a feature film. And 
I am very interested in, you know, something we've seen brilliant short films that are made to be watched on a mobile, for example, or made, you know, definitely in VR, although I think VR is just the, the means of making VR is so different and can be so expensive that it's really hard to do it on a, on a London calling budget. But that line in the, in the guidelines this year was more just to show that we are open to that. Like if you wanted to make a short film that was designed to be watched on a mobile, maybe people ne wouldn't necessarily have come to London Calling to do that because they think that Film London is very traditional. And it's just the baby step, first steps of opening us up to that. It was a, a few people sort of emailed us being freaked out, like, oh my God, my film doesn't have a virtual reality element, can I still apply? It's like, yes, 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 of course. You know, you can, you can make a very traditional short film if you want to, but just so you know, we are open to new, new things. And I think, um, like I said, that was the first baby step. You know, watch this space in the, in the years to come. Um, things will get clearer. I so said, what is the, um, the best platform right now as far as um, monetizing um, your content? It's a brilliant question. <laughs> um, I think it really depends on what it is. Um, I think it's quite hard to monetize, just speaking completely frankly, I think it's quite hard to monetize a short film by itself. You know, at Vimeo, we had short films online on the VOD platform that did quite well, but they were generally people who had quite a big audience of their own. Like there's uh, the filmmaker Don Hertzfeld had made, um, you know, he had a huge following in the animation community. He made a short film that was Oscar nominated and he put it up and it did quite well. There were short films made, there was a short documentary by a guy who was obsessed with the Sriracha hot sauce. And he, it was brilliant actually, it was one of the first short documentary. I think it was, a, it was a really weird length. It might have been slightly over half an hour. Like, it's not a TV length. It's not a sort of traditionally friendly online length. But it was about this hot sauce that everybody, like, is really, there's lots of people are very, very interested in. He was really smart about how he approached it. He crowdfunded the film. And when he was doing his crowdfunding, he reached out to a guy who'd written a sriracha cookbook who didn't have a massive social media following, but he had a you know, decent one. And he invited, he, the, the guy supported the crowdfund. And then when he was making the film, he invited the same guy back, like, remember me, you supported my film. If you want to come to the location, we're shooting it now. And this food blogger came down and sort of tweeted pictures of himself from the, from the location. Um, and him talking about it, even though he had, you know, he had a couple of thousand followers, something like that, but people who were following him included like the Huffington Post food blog and you know they got followed by the, the some other papers and he ended up in the LA Times um, and because he'd been smart like that and had that the support from that kind of influencer he made decent amount of money like a impressive amount of money for a short film that he had crowdfunded so it paid for itself kind of and you know I don't think he was necessarily expecting to make a huge amount of money for it but he did really really well so you can do it if you can figure out who's interested in this short film and who's going to pay for it and who's going to support me promoting it um, then Vimeo and Vimeo On Demand can be interesting otherwise you know maybe it's something that would do and I'm not so good on YouTube but you know I think the YouTube advertising revenue split is really challenging to do well and make a lot of money out of because it's quite brutal you have to get so many views to get you know whatever the percentage is I think it's 40% that you get of the advertising revenue share so that's challenging. And also with YouTube, you have to be making a ton all the time, all the time to build up your channel, build up your followers, um, which again is complicated if you're like, a, you want to make short films that are of any kind of standard of production quality and stuff. So 
I don't have a perfect answer, but I think if you want to try direct distribution, then it's, it's you know, all of the stuff I said about how to get people to watch your film for free and then, like, times 100, because you can do it, but it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of homework and research. Um, I think we can have one final one, that gentleman over there. Hello there. Um, we um, made a short film about PTSD in World War I, um, and there's kind of only one time of year where it's like a relevant film where people would kind of share. And so yeah, it was like such a short amount of time. Is there any kind of specific advice that you could give us to kind of get it out there and get more eyes on it? Because we've tried talking to like uh, an aggregator or a seed and they were like, oh yeah, it's uh, 30,000 pounds. It's just like, right. oh, all right, yeah, sweet. Yeah. So, so what's the film about? Um, it's, it's like, a, it's three minutes long. It's mm -hmm. just about, um, it's about PTSD, like shell shock basically right. in World War One. so it's a bit I of a, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I would send, you know, there are, there are lots of groups who deal with exactly that kind of, you know, supporting the military, people who have PTSD, and I would start with people like that. Like, you know, there, whether it's Facebook groups or whether there are websites and charities who work with exactly that, you know, um, uh, subject and, and get them, because, you know, they might not be a a social media platform with a huge audience or, you know, like a viewing platform with a huge audience, but they will have an audience of their, of their own who are very, very interested in that subject. So, you know, that's where you want to sort of target first because if you get that core um, audience going, they all have an audience of their own. So, you know, Facebook groups. I think Facebook is actually more useful than Twitter. Generally, it has a better conversion rate for people actually watching stuff and sharing it on. So look for charities or support groups who deal with PTSD, who deal with the military, and um, get them aware of it first and get them to share it on their Facebook if they're into it, um, and then go from there. And then maybe, you know, the short film community will pay more attention if they can see that you've already been picked up and you're getting some traction elsewhere. So um, this is a really, obviously I haven't even seen your film or anything, but generally, I would always say whatever it is, find the, find the sort of, the group that deals with the subject almost more before you approach Short film people, though. Short film, I don't want to say that if like, there are people like Short of the Week and Staff Picks who would love to see great films whenever, you know, you approach them. But I think if you're not having any luck with those kinds of people, try the people who deal with the subject matter because um, everybody's looking for content. And if you're, you know, if they are a charity or a support group who deal with that, they need help spreading that message. And if you've made a film that could maybe act as, you know, promotion and marketing for them as well, then it can be a really nice two-way street. I think that um, what you've just pointed out is just thinking almost like, you know, after you've made a film, you're thinking about the broadest possible audience. You just want everyone to see it. Yeah. But just knocking it down to its component parts again, almost like going back to the script stage where you're like, what yeah. is this about? Who is it for? Exactly. People say all the time, you know, we ask people a lot of Film London, you know, you've got to know who your audience is and who you're targeting. And people say, oh, you know, women aged yeah. 30 and over or, you know, people aged 18, 18 to 40. And it's like, no, 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 who's your audience? Like, is it, if it's about PTSD, like is there, is, there are people out there who are very, very interested in that. Or there was a film we were dealing with recently that was about autism. It's like, so it's not just people with families, it's like find the, the, the core audience where you can start, who, the people who will evangelize for you about your film. However small it might seem, or the, you know, the blogger who's really interested in Sriracha Hot Sauce, he can be an incredibly powerful um, person and, and, and sort of marketer for your film. If you find the people who are really specific first, and then from there you can figure out the bigger strategy. Um, and I think that's a good point for us to uh, stop and say thank you, Jordan. Thank, thank you so much. Thank for you for having me. <laughs>
Thanks to Jordan McGarry for that glimpse behind the curtain. Next up, we hear from two current curators of short film content. Sarah Tierney is a founder and CEO of Colony, and Gavin Humphreys is an executive producer at Nowness. These are two platforms with very different ways of working, as Sarah explains. So Colony is a global transactional video-on-demand platform. So we release films with a whole bunch of extra content. So it's a sort of like a special edition platform. So we do shorts, features. Uh, at the moment, it's um, all film, but we're uh, now sort of onboarding TV and doing a few other um, bits and pieces. Thank you. The platform has, we have registered account, account holders now in 127 countries, so very wide international footprint. Our model is the kind of the points that make us different, I guess. The first is that we work completely across the film value chain, so we can work with an individual filmmaker, uh, distributor, sales agent, and we're actually doing our first studio deals at the moment. We're global, we can do a single territory or synchronous global release and everything in between. The kind of focus on extra content is a real big one. It kind of drives crazy engagement rates. So for us on a single purchase, we see an average of 12 to 48 days engagement. So really kind of new viewing experience around a single film. And the other kind of key thing is that we have an integrated marketing support. So that's run by Anna K. Warabi, who used to be head of marketing for iTunes Europe. And that um, is a non-deductible expense to the filmmaker um, and really encompasses everything from sort of press and PR, partnerships, content seeding, uh, paid organic social. So it's just that kind of, like a full service really. And for me, the motivation behind Colony was when I was a producer, I kind of felt like distribution was was the weak link. I mean, we, I ran a production company and we made TV and film, as you mentioned, and over about six years, we made about 40 shows. And the ones that were commercially unsuccessful, we saw no money. And the ones that were commercially successful, we saw no money. And you sort of think, hang on a little minute, what is going on here? And I think it was because we were sort of just giving our rights away to actually really great distributors. I mean, we were really lucky with our distributors, but it was sort of like, right, you know, off you go. And I just felt that there was a kind of better way to deal with rights and particularly deal with the international opportunity of digital. Mm-hmm. Um, and for you, Gavin? Um, Nowness is a, it's an online uh, global channel. Um, so it started off more as an online publishing entity, the background being in, in fashion and design, uh, music. Um, and it's kind of grown into um, an online video channel. So we don't just deal with um, as short films as in conventional short fiction films. Um, we cover art, design, fashion, music, um, culture, uh, we have dance films, we work with um, figures across the whole of the kind of cultural landscape and internationally. Um, the kind of remit that we have is that we're looking for um, exclusive online premieres. So when I started earlier this year, we were doing um, a film a day, which is a mixture of um, in house commissions. We have our own commissioning team, and I think Katie Metcalf was here earlier on, who's a programmer at Sundance, but she's also one of our video commissioners. And we also look for ready-made films where filmmakers might want to um, kind of get more bang for their buck by premiering their work with us and we can kind of give them a a whole kind of push across social media and really look after their their film and push it out there and maybe develop a relationship with that filmmaker to then commission them on the in-house films or branded content as well. So that's basically it. Yeah, so we look for that kind of exclusive window, typically for two weeks before then it's rolled out to other other platforms. So the audience come to us really because we've had quite a high high bar in terms of curation. 
that's obviously quite difficult in-house because then we're looking constantly to make sure that we're, we have films that are very individual, have a different type of aesthetic, a different approach, or are looking at a, a new story in a conventional way. So, so there's something new about the, the filmmaking or the, or the subject matter. So how do the commissions you know, happen? How does the branded content happen? Mm -hmm. And how successful have the more regular short film content been in relation? I think we've developed so quickly as a platform just because the nature of filmmaking has changed so much that you know, now newer filmmakers, emerging filmmakers and even more experienced filmmakers are moving between you know, doing fashion or music or um, design or animation, documentary. There's, you know, there's, it's a different filmmaking landscape. So I suppose, for example, what I'm there to do and Anna, who's the creative director, is our background is more in the film industry, is, is just kind of embrace more of the kind of narrative filmmakers who are so brilliant to bring. We've got a very high aesthetic from the kind of fashion design world, but maybe not strong narrative. So bringing in narrative filmmakers and have that kind of sweet spot where we can get something that looks great, but also has emotional resonance or a narrative structure. But in real terms, in terms of um, the platform and numbers and things like yeah. that, how are you finding building the audiences for those two things? Is that, is, is that a sort of a, an easy step for your um, viewers to make? Or is there quite distinct audiences for that kind of content, do you think? Um, we can obviously, we can see what our audience mm. are doing and how they behave. I and mean, we have, um, on average, just over 5 million kind of individual viewers a month. You know, we're experimenting as we go along. I mean, the great thing about Nowness is that, I mean, obviously we want to, um, in terms of the business model, we have a lot of branded content. So that's sort of how we're kind of funding ourselves. But there's a lot of room for experimentation. We don't want to then completely have no audience because it's so experimental or not, you know, not kind of capturing the audience. Um, but there's room for, for a bit of play to see what works and, and what doesn't. So, for example, like I said, with the, those animations, our audience hasn't naturally come to the platform to watch animations, but they did incredibly well. I think like we're encouraging people to watch in series. Mm -hmm. So what we found is that, you know, if we've got most of the, the, the episodes are three to five minutes, that's what we're commissioning. So people will watch one and then watch the next and the next one. So they'll, you know, they'll, they'll w come back to watch in series. So we have director's cuts, which is um, an area where directors can uh, premiere work that they've perhaps made very recently or in the distant past that's never actually been out there or that's their own version of something that has already been been made um, and we'll we'll create those in a whole series so people will watch one film to the next we can see mm. very clearly that people are kind of consuming for half an hour or an hour watching several yeah. films at a time. Um, Sarah, I want to, to, to bring um, Colony in um, now. Can you um, tell us a little bit about how, you know, we, we've had Nowness sort of laid out in terms of the, the approach that they're taking. How different is this platform and who is it for? We skew pretty young, yeah. so the vast majority of our user base is 18 to 40. Mm -hmm. Uh, as I mentioned, we have quite a wide international footprint, but the US and the UK are our critical markets. They deliver probably more than 60% of our business in any month. Our platform is not, I mean, as I mentioned before, we've got a, a focus on extra content, kind of behind the scenes making of additional content, but it's not for sort of um, 
film buffs or <clears throat> it's not a kind of art house platform. We're going after a much more mainstream consumer and our marketing partnerships sort of, um, sort of evidence that. For us, uh, the way we curate is either through strong talent or strong genre. So everything we do, I mean, it's, it's so obvious, but everything we do is audience focused. Mm. So we like to understand who the audience for a particular piece of work will be and how we reach them and how we talk to them. And so the shortcut for us is talent, always. And actually, of our shorts catalogue, I think nearly all of them are sort of talent-led. So we've done things, uh, shorts people like Benedict Cumberbatch, um, uh, uh, Bender, <coughs> Ben Whishaw, Felicity Jones, Tom Hiddleston, et cetera, et cetera. So those just cut through for us for that mainstream fan base. We think there's something interesting going on around the fact that you know, shorts, traditionally, the monetization of shorts is really tough. And I think particularly for, you know, outside of a, a film buff or filmmaker audience, it's such a short experience. And for us, the bundle creates this kind of much deeper, bigger piece. So um, we think that's to do with, you know, how we're kind of managing to drive conversion as well, that they're, that they're buying into a bigger kind of content experience. And we've talked a little bit about with, um, when we had our festival session earlier about, you know, how how long would a, a, a programmer consider a film for? So, you know, some festival programmes were talking about, like, 18 months, and then it becomes too old. Mm. Um, you've talked about Pitch Black Highs, which is much older than that. Yep. Um, is a newness, how is that defined when we're talking about online placement? Because is it a brand-new audience, or is the festival premiere really, you know, is, is it still just as important? When, when do you expect to get these films in and does that matter to you? I mean, it's just a different audience, isn't it? If a short film's been at film festivals, that's a very kind of focused, contained mm. audience, quite specific audience. Um, and when you're putting it online, we're talking about, you know, tens of thousands, millions of viewers that are international and not necessarily going to film festivals. That's just a completely different audience. It's yeah. the same between <laughs> platforms as well, that people might feel that, oh, no, if, if I'm on this platform, it means that I'm, I should be on, like, multiple platforms. We have to think about what's the best audience for your film and what's the best platform, the same way you'd think about what's the best festival, where mm. I should go. So for us, it's just more about, because our very nature is that the, the newness for nowness is that we need the exclusive international mm. premiere. So it does have to be new to the online audience for us, absolutely, and we need that kind of mm. two-week window. Um, but the benefit is, is that we're not like a crowded site with lots of films being pushed. You know, there's, there's the three films a week and they're quite distinct because there could be a design piece, a fashion piece or a fiction film. And then it'd be curated as part of, say, director's cuts or whatever series that it's part of. So we're looking for that kind of exclusive different film that we can showcase is that we think it's great. And we're, again, exercising our kind of curatorial, you know, taste um, for our audience. And for us, so um, new is great. Mm. And frat being completely candid, we'll spend more money on marketing for a film that we have in early windows. But we have had real success with titles that have been out in the marketplace for some time. And I think it's, it's exactly as you say. I mean, first of all, I think the kind of festival audience is a very uh, contained one. For our audience, they actually don't, you know, a laurel is not the thing yeah. that's going to tip them over. Mm. Um, so they just don't really pay attention to that. I mean, less so on features. Features, I think, kind of reviews, you know, work harder for us than festivals do, for sure. So, so that's the first thing I would say. And then I guess for us, particularly the focus on talent, you know, we see talent as being a really evergreen piece here. So like 
we have a short called Emily, which uh, stars Felicity Jones. And I forget now when that was made, but some years ago, and it hasn't been widely available, but Emily is, you know, in our, like, some of, I can't remember now, but like in our top 10 grossing films. I'm not talking about shorts, I'm talking about our entire catalogue. You know, that film's done absolute gangbusters for us. And it's because she is having, you know, her moment, at, you know, with Rogue One and everything else. She's, you know, she's being introduced to a whole much bigger, different, younger audience base who want to discover her in other things. So, so for us, it's, it, I think, you know, date isn't a huge one for us. Mm. The only thing I would just caveat that with, and I'm sure you feel the same, is the only thing with older shorts is they tend to have been just vomited all over the web, and that is really problematic. And the thing that's super irritating is it's quite often done by the team and mm. their wider sort of, you know, heads of department. It'll be, you know, there'll be free links on Vimeo that have had a bazillion views, and they won't even know they're there, and it's like the DOP or somebody. And that's completely fine if that was the discussion. And but if you're trying to come to us, you know, trans, to mm. transact on your product, you've got to be, you've got to sort of, you know, taken care of it mm. in terms of. So I think it's exactly yeah. as you say. It's just have mm. a strategy. Mm. Understand whether this film is about for you. It's a calling card, and it's just about reach and make your decisions that way. Or if it's about proving commerciality because it's a taster for a feature, or you've got investors or whatever it is take that route but I think it's about decide what it is and what how you want it to perform what success looks like mm. I think we see quite a lot of filmmakers are sort of like shrug their shoulders and you think right okay well there's a lot of unpicking to be done to make this commercially viable mm. so could I ask you guys to talk through slightly I, I know that Nanos don't pay for the content mm. but there is as, as you've said there's a value in the, in the platform mm. could you both kind of articulate like how you communicate the the value of being on that platform to people that are commissioned or are showing your work on there I mean for us again it's it's about it's a career strategy it's if you know a director wants to move in that world of say branded or you know advertising mm. music videos or whatever fashion if they want a career as a, a kind of auteur filmmaker then maybe we're not the right place for yeah. them because that's not what we're about but the kind of the journey for us really is say for example i don't know with the um the man o man and edmund filmmakers that and with other filmmakers that we've we've short filmmakers that we've um, worked with this year is that we we really love um, that film and they want that sort of career then what we can offer them is the big push for their film to that audience to give them the opportunity to be out that the people do as I said particularly in North America are looking for directors who we think are good basically um, and then they'll be that kind of sets their career off in that world but at the same time for us it's then our first experience of working with that filmmaker to understand what they're like, how they work, because we work quite closely with them for the social media strategy to really help them and push the film out there as early as possible. Um, and then we'll commission them for in-house series, you know, on this kind of smaller commissions. And if that works out, we'll then do the bigger branded work that we produce in-house as well. So it's kind of that journey of get, of trust, getting to know them. Because when you're working on branded work, there's, you know, a lot of pressures, a lot of money at stake and a lot of clients. And we can offer that kind of protection for the director. But we need to know how they work and that mm. they can sort of do that. We'll look after their film and then want to work with them on more projects, which are obviously, you know, then paid for. Yeah, so it's a real mm. talent development opportunity, um, and it's very much that you're nurturing that talent for actually potentially quite commercial opportunities in the future. Yeah. 
and fees? Um, well, so just talking about the financial model first off. Mm. So in a small number of shorts, and I want to just caveat that's not our usual working method. We've put money into the production budget. Yeah. You know, a substantial amount of money went into a film called The Muse, which was starred Ben Whishaw and Kristen McMenny and was made for BBC Films, ourselves, and W Magazine in the States. So that was a significant amount of money because it was a team we knew very well. It was a director called Tim Walker, who's an amazing fashion photographer transitioning into film, and we love him and want to support him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's such a talent. And so it was just a great opportunity. And also, it was very early in our our own platform's development, so it was a great calling card for us. At the other end, we've worked with films that are on schemes like London Calling, the Film London scheme, where we've just helped them top up their budget. And then something we do more commonly is actually give filmmakers cash to help them with the extra content. Because, you know, I started as a short film producer. I totally get it that there's never any money, let alone enough money to do extra stuff. Um, And quite often, one of the barriers we hear is that there isn't great amount of extra content or they have it, but they need money to go back into the edit or whatever it is. So we can be helpful in that sense. We also have an in-house team that do a whole bunch of content and creative and can do editing and, you know, take, you know, we've had people literally like turn up with a drive, like here's a terabyte drive of our rushes and, and we've, you know, created a whole bunch of stuff from that. Yeah, which by the way, we do as well. So we recognize that, you know, to make a film work online, it might, I mean, a, a fiction film, it's harder, but certainly we've had documentaries and other work where people have come to us and we just, maybe want to, in agreement with them, do some tweaks just to make it work better online. And we have an in-house team that can absolutely do all of that in terms of the editing and the sound just to, because it's expensive business otherwise, isn't it? Totally, so, yeah. totally. Yeah. And also because we have such a sense of how our audiences behave. So, you know, for example, if we get delivered like a 20 minute making of doco, that's brilliant, we'll be super pleased, but we'll probably chapter it into maybe mm. two or three bits because we have that kind of grazing short form audience. And then um, in terms of the license, so we take a rolling 24 months. So that's actually pretty short in the land of uh, short films. You know, we want to be really flexible for our filmmakers. We have a 70-30 revenue split, so 70% to the filmmaker, 30 to us. But critically, we have a non-deductibles model. So all the costs I mentioned before, so any like upfront monies into the production, any money into the extra content production, all delivery costs, all encoding, hosting, and critically, all of the marketing spend is, is taken by us. So it's basically 70 pence in the first pound return to the filmmaker. So... We've tried to make it as transparent and straightforward as possible. And you've both mentioned your backgrounds as filmmakers, as producers. Sarah, you've talked about kind of how that's gone into the the way that you've put the model together. Mm. But I'm just wondering if doing the online platform, working on, you know, in this way has actually changed how you're thinking about your own filmmaking and what you're doing with with your films, perhaps... I think it's just being, you know, um, having your eyes open to all the other different Mm. possibilities and not just being sort of stuck in kind of that sort of fiction short feature world and thinking about all the other possibilities. So, for example, with Nowness, it's a great, you know, marketing tool. You know, we can look at if someone's, say, doing um, a feature project and rather than doing a conventional behind the scenes, they could use some of that budget to make a complementary film that is not directly related to the feature but has, I don't know, the themes or a character from or something like that, whatever, an actor. And that can be used to push at the same time as the, as the feature internationally as a, you know, as a promotional tool rather than something a bit drier than just, mm. you know, BTS. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I suppose, how I'd look at it in terms of how can you use online to help like push what you're already making if it's not, I know that's a bit a step further than shorts, but certainly in the feature world, that's a, a, a conversation that's going on now is how do you use online to, to better to promote your conventional feature work? 
Oh, and I would echo that, but, but, but encourage short filmmakers to think like that. I mean, I think that if I was going back to producing shorts now, I think I would be way more ambitious for my f content than I maybe was. I think sort of I had quite a linear view, view of, you know, you make it, it does its festivals, you shove it to a sales agent, maybe it'll sell in Japan. That was sort of like what you thought happened. I think I would just, I think I would be much more ambitious for all the opportunity there is to find an audience. Mm. But I think you, I would also work harder. I mean, I worked really hard, but you know, I would, <laughs> I would work, I would work broader, I think is yes. maybe what I mean, yeah. is, you know, it, it is the case that our, for the filmmakers we work with, I think are really a unique bunch because they're the total self-starters mm. and the ones that really understand that as well as being producers or directors or writers, they have to be like marketeers and mm. they have to be thinking about their film as a commodity. I mean, it's, you know, I talk about product and people like yell at me, but it is, <laughs> you know, I mean, unless it's not, you know, unless film, short filmmaking is something you're doing you know, for for the love of it. If it if you're wanting to form a career, I think you've got to get smart pretty quick about you know it. it there is it's so noisy. There is so much content. There is no longer any kind of barrier between audience and content. So it's about how do you mark out your film as the one that people are going to hear about and want to watch. Mm. Um, and I think if you can create that discipline in a, in your short film career as you move. <coughs> on and up, you know, that will only stand you in great stead. I mean, one of the filmmakers I talk about often is Chris Foggin, who we love, he is so brilliant. And he, when he was doing more junior roles on features, would like just grab the actors. And we're talking like really big names and make them do shorts. So he did uh, That Night, which is with James Corden and Alexandra Roach. And he did Friend Request Pending, which is Judy Dench and Tom Hiddleston and a whole bunch of other people. And like, you know, we've got both those shorts and we worked with him on his first feature, Kids in Love. And we love Chris. And he, you know, he's one of those people that I think he just, you know, he's really ambitious and he's good and... He, he always had that longevity in mind of, you know, what the stepping stones were to, to features work. Yeah, and I would say as well, like, the great thing about Nowness is that, you know, if, if you, you want to sort of step out of the fiction filmmaking and do it, it's a great way that, as I, when I produce, you know, um, uh, I was working with people like Frame Store doing commercials and branded content and working in 3D or whatever, and just learning different styles of filmmaking on, like, a, a kind of smaller project, and that's, I suppose, what we offer as well. We have that kind of creative playground where you can try you know, technical creative experimentation in a different type of project just to kind of hone your skills as a yeah. filmmaker or a producer rather than, you know, sort of waiting for an opportunity, which I don't think many people are doing nowadays, but there's just more opportunities out there, I think, in a different way than there used to be to just keep on, keep on going and making stuff, you know. Absolutely. Um, want to open up to the audience, so just raise your hands. So you, you uh, talked about not much of a limit on the age of films. Would you accept uh, films that were shot on DSLR as well? Yeah. I mean, for us, uh, we get asked about quality quite often. So we're an HD-only platform. Now, that gives some constraints. Um, but we a huge amount of our um, consumption is on mobile. So we have a thing called Responsive HD. So we basically encode in, like, nine different versions of HD, and we serve up to the consumer the best version for them on their device and on their bandwidth. Um, and we have lots of flexibility around quality. I mean, it's funny actually. Some of the, um, you know, some of the stuff on our platform that has created virality, and that's a terrible word that I don't use often, <laughs> is actually the stuff that's maybe not the most polished. So, like, we had um, we had a producer deliver us a whole bunch of extra content on a Benedict Cumberbatch film, and at the, the last minute, she was like, oh, "I've got all these stills that I took on my phone." 
do you want them? And we were like, well, not sure. that sounds a bit crap. But like, they are amazing because they're just so candid, like, you know, and they've just done amazingly for us in terms of uh, partnership. So, so it's about the content and the context. I mean, quality, you know, there's a minimum bar, let's be clear. But. Hi. Um, yeah, I think it's great that there are these, like, these platforms and distributors that get uh, filmmakers' films out there, um, as well as the festival run. I think a lot of filmmakers maybe go straight for the festivals, and that's that's the main thing they're thinking about. I guess I'm wondering what at what point uh, I've just finished producing a film with a not a name actor, but I'm hoping to use the kind of uh, the talent involved to to get this to distributors. And I guess I'm wondering whether whether to go straight for the festival run and then say come back to uh, companies like yours after it's had its run, or whether to go straight in there and, and uh, try to get it out there through the digital scene. I, I guess there are benefits for both, but mm. I, I guess you can spend a lot of time doing festivals and uh, this, is, this is a better result in a way. I'm really glad you asked because I went to talk about this. So we get asked this all the time about like the, the um, complementary nature of what mm. we do and festivals. And I think the answer is there is, or I don't think I have an, a straightforward answer. A couple of things I would say though is that the number of festivals requiring online exclusivity is far fewer than you imagine. There's, I think, a feeling that, like, actually, you're just doing yourself out of a festival strategy if you do some sort of online distribution. Yeah, well, actually, Katie, who works with us, who is at Sundance, I mean, she did a piece two, three years ago yeah. to explain that, and I think there's already, two, three years ago, like, more than two-thirds of festivals exactly. are fine with that, so it's just, it's a myth, it doesn't really, you know... Mm. Totally, totally. Just, yeah. So I think that's the first thing. And again, like, talk, as we talked earlier about, like, having a strategy, you know, you should have a sense of what are the festivals you think would respond to it, and then make those decisions about, do those ones require online exclusivity, and then decide whether you want to wait. Um, in terms of speaking just for Colony, so there isn't too early a time to come to us. You know, we're already working on projects at script stage that won't come onto our platform until like 2018. And what the, the role we play in those is we're helping them to think through the sort of wider strategy, particularly marketing and particularly content, like what are the extra content pieces and marketing collateral they need to, to collate. And we have a whole bunch of shorts, actually, that we love and we would put online tomorrow, but we are let, the filmmaker wants to do a festival strategy and wants to do that in isolation, and we're just letting them do it. Um, but the thing I would say about it is again, for strategy, have a place that you're going to direct people to. So I cannot tell you how many short festivals I sit at and like somebody in the audience says, I love that, I want to see it again, I want to see more, like where can I find out more information? And they're just like, have no response. They don't have a social handle, they don't have a website, they don't have a platform they can point to. So again, you know, create a, a, a destination online for your film that can be a kind of center point for that activity. Yeah, I mean, and we're also increasingly working with filmmakers at an earlier point where they're, they they finished a film, but they have a festival strategy and they want to work with us. So we'll just hold back and wait and see how it pans out over you know the six nine months, and we'll premiere it when they've they've kind of achieved or not achieved the film festivals they want to premiere at, and that's good for us because we program quite far in advance. Um, so it's nice for us to know that we have that kind of spot in the future in our programming calendar that, you know, that's going to premiere in six months' time or something. I think we're going to have to wrap up there. But thank you so much, Sarah and Gavin, for being here. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to part two of this three-part series from The Guru. You can hear the other shows by subscribing. Just search for BAFTA's The Guru in your podcast app of choice, where you'll also find a huge archive of episodes covering the making of films, TV and video games. Thanks to Gemma Desai, BAFTA and the British Council. The producer is Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. Until next time, goodbye. The Guru.